Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Praise the Lord. You're glad to be here? I believe we're going to leave out better than we came in. That's the goal, to leave better than you came. Amen? Let's jump straight into Scripture here. Starting in James, the third chapter, second verse. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So that tells us if we can control our tongues, we can control our bodies. That your tongue is the steering wheel of your life. Um, if you keep on continuing on down in the scripture there, reading it, it talks about putting bits in horses' mouths. And that bit's right on the horse's tongue. And you use that bit that's on the horse's tongue to control the horse, and he goes where you tell him to go. It's by the bit in his mouth, and it goes on talking about the rudder on the large ship, directs the direction of the, of the ship that the rudder does, and that the rudder's you know, obviously very small in comparison to the ship. So is our tongue. So um, maybe about, I don't know, it's been several years ago, eight or ten years. I didn't keep up with the time, but we were going on a family vacation, and we were going to Gatlinburg. And me and Jackie loaded up and crammed all the kids in the back seat and took off. And we were just cruising down the highway, the interstate. And um, we've been traveling for a little while, and we were passing an exit. And I said, "I said, well, that's this exit right here." I pointed at it, and I said, "Right up, right up there's where my uncle goes to church." She said, "Wow, he drives this far," and I said, "Yeah, drives that far every week, all the way to Aniston." And as I said that, I realized I was going the wrong way. I was supposed to be on 59 going north and a little east, and I was just going straight east towards Atlanta on I-20. But you know what it would be like saying you're going to go to the beach and uh, getting on 65 and arriving in Nashville and going, wow, I'm going the wrong way. And uh, would you just keep going and going and going and go, man, I'm going the wrong way until you arrive to Chicago? I mean, we all know the answer to this question. Just like me going towards Atlanta, I have a steering wheel that's controlling the direction of this vehicle. I didn't just keep on driving going, we're going the wrong way. We are going the wrong way. We're definitely headed in the wrong direction. No doubt we're going the wrong way. No. I turned that steering wheel and I turned and got on a different route and I started going the right direction. But the same thing in your life. Your tongue's the steering wheel of your life. And what you speak, what comes out of your mouth, what you say, what you confess, hey, that's the steering wheel of your life. And if your life's not going in the direction you want it to, you need to look at what's coming out of your mouth and what you're saying. Because the Scripture makes it real plain right here. We just read it. If you can control this tongue right here, um, we might stumble on many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, that's what you're saying, what you're speaking. He's a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Just like that bit in that horse's mouth controls the horse. We've got a bit in our mouth, our tongue. And what we say uh, is the steering wheel of our life. Y'all, y'all with me? Amen. Amen. So we went over James last week, and uh, I just wanted to bring that, you know, I know it's the same scripture we went over last week, and we're going to hit a few more that we hit last week. But um, I ate some good food last night, and I'm going to eat some good food again today. And this is, this is food. This is the Word. You're eating, and it's okay to eat it again. Because don't think you'll ever exhaust all of it and get everything out of it because you won't, because it's inexhaustible. You can read the same Scripture over and over, and ten years later, you, you get something out of it you never got before. Or a man can present it to you in a way you've never heard it before. And you can have a revelation. So, in Proverbs, the 18th chapter and the 20th verse, "...a man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth." From the produce of his lips, he shall be filled. So what's your stomach going to be filled with? From the fruit of your mouth, whatever you're speaking. And the next verse says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, 
and those who love it will eat its fruit. And that's one thing we went over last week is if you really believe this scripture wholeheartedly, that death and life are right there in the power of your tongue, which it is because the scripture says it is, would you say what you say? Or would you change what you say? Would you be careful as to what you, what you speak? Would you hold up a little bit on the words that come out of your mouth, especially when you're speaking uh, sickness and disease or lack or uh, uh, anything along those lines? Um, don't, don't be speaking that. Remember we had a list last week of all the things we say that we don't even realize we're saying, just little things. And uh, that list, man, that could have went on and on, couldn't it? But um, 2020 is going to be a good year. And let me tell you, the year is not going to be determined how good it is uh, by how well your business gets started off in 2020 or how well your relationships get started off. If you want 2020 to be a good year, it's going to start with your lips. The increase is going to come from your lips. Now we can say that we're going to be the head, not the tail, and be above and not beneath, and we're going to be lenders and not bars, or we can just join in the world and just say any old thing and say, oh boy... You know, it's not looking good and, uh, you know, just things along those lines. I mean, you hear people say nobody's hiring or nobody's getting any contracts. And you may be around people that talk lack and defeat. You may be around people that say he got the flu. We all going to get the flu now because he was in the office with us. You can be around people that say that. You can be around people that say nobody's getting any contracts with that company. You know what you just say to yourself? You don't have to say it out loud in front of them. Don't cast your pearl before swine. You don't have to. You can say to yourself, I get the contract. They might get the flu. I'm not. I mean, speak life. Speak increase. Speak abundance. Don't join in. You join in with them, you get what they get. We need to say, we're coming up. We're coming out. And we're going to abound. We're going to abound. We're advancing. We're increasing. Amen. So in Mark 11, chapter 23rd verse, this is what Jesus says. This is words in red letters in your Bible, if you're looking at your Bible. He says, For for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, that's you saying it, you speaking it, and not doubting in your heart, but believing the things which you say will be done, that he'll have whatever he says. That's what he says. If you believe it in your heart and you speak it with your mouth, that you'll have whatever you say. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and then you'll have them. Now, it doesn't say when you see it, then believe it. It's just when you pray, before you see it, before you feel it, before it arrives, we're going to believe that we receive it. And it says, then you'll have it. It's this thing called faith. And it says to believe, but basically what he's saying is believe and confess. To believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's how you get saved. You believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Now I know that this one portion of scripture here, I know it's been <clears throat> taken way out of context by some people. I know that. I know this one lady. Uh, I wasn't like super close friends with her, but I just knew of her. And, I mean, I met her in person. But her and her husband, they went to legally had his name changed to Rich. So that when she would be saying, hey, Rich, come here, Rich, hey, Rich, so that he would become rich. And that's silly. That's taking it out of context. I mean, there's other scriptures that line up with that, like, uh, you know, loving uh, money more than God, like uh, it's the root of money is the root of all evil. That's got your mind on money. And God says, I won't, you won't make a mockery of me. You're deceiving your own heart. You're deceiving your own self. And I, I think that, that, that's a little silly. And so people, people do things like that. But see, here's what you've got to look at. Your words need to line up with His words. Your words line up with the Bible, with the Word of God. These are promises. I'm not asking for anything that doesn't belong to me. I'm not confessing anything that doesn't belong to me. I'm simply believing and confessing everything that does belong to me. I want every bit of it. I want all the promises in this book, in the Word of God. I want them. He died for us to have them. And we believe and we confess. Now, like I said, you know, some people mock and they can do without. But you know what? I'm going to be obedient and do what He says and I'm going to enjoy 
And we could go on with examples of taking it out of context, but I think we're all uh, on the same page here. I'm not talking about just confessing crazy stuff. I'm talking about your words lining up with the Creator's words. Amen. Amen. Sickness does not belong to you. It does not belong to you. That's not part of the promise. He didn't say, I went to the cross and died so you could be sick. It doesn't belong to you. I don't want any, I don't want what don't belong to me. I want what does belong to me. What the Bible plainly says is he went to the cross and by his stripes we were healed past tense. That's what I want. I want what that blood provided and I'm going to confess healing over my life, over my wife's life, over all four of our children's lives, over your life. You ought to confess it over your life. You ought to confess it over my life. We need to be speaking and confessing what the Word says and that's what the Word says. People are going to laugh and say that's silly. No, that's not silly. And if it is silly, woo, I want to be silly. That's just what the Word says. The world thinks that's crazy. Some other denominations think it's crazy, but if you think it's crazy, you just think the word's crazy. We just read it. How could you misinterpret that? Believe with your, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Like I said, the same way you got saved. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I didn't see Him, but I believe it. And I confess it. Josh went over that Wednesday night. He didn't see... Uh, any of the things take place, but he believes them in his heart. Hold a gun to my head, I still believe it. Amen. So, we're going. here's a new one right here that we didn't go over last week. It's in Revelations. Not Revelations, but Revelation. Um, and many people are familiar with this one. Revelation 12 and verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb... And by the word of their testimony. Now get a hold of that. They overcame him by what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. There's two things there. The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. There would be no testimony had there not been the blood of the lamb. There's nothing. There ain't no testimony. We're going to hell. But the blood of the lamb got us out of hell. It says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony, that's your confession. We're confessing the blood of Jesus. Yeah, the blood of Jesus was shed for me, shed for you, shed for all of us. And I confess that He is my Lord and Savior. And that same blood provided healing. That same blood has provided every promise that's in this book. Now, it was bought and paid for. The blood bought and paid for. For you and I. But that doesn't mean everybody's going to enjoy it. Hitler didn't enjoy it. But the blood was shed for him. The blood was shed for every human being. The same people that nailed Jesus to the cross, the blood was shed for them. But they didn't enjoy it. Why didn't they enjoy it? Well, the blood of the Lamb was there, but only one thing was missing. That was the word of their testimony. Now I'm just bringing to your attention how much, how important it, the words that come out of your mouth are. That we must add the word of our testimony to appropriate it. Amen? So, um, in Romans... Um, let's look at this one right here. Let's go to Romans 10th chapter, the ninth verse. If you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God had raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Once again, you believe in your heart, you're confessing with your mouth. That's how you get saved. For if the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation... Once again, that's how we get saved. We believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth. That's how you get into the kingdom. How'd you get into the kingdom? How'd you get out of hell and get into the kingdom? You believed in your heart and would confess with your mouth. Well, the same way you got in the kingdom is the same way you're going to operate in the kingdom. There's lots of people believe that you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that gets you out of hell, but believe in your heart and confession with your mouth that you're healed, that it, that doesn't work. What in the world? Let me tell you, getting out of hell is a lot harder than getting healed. I mean, if God used the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, that got you out of hell. What is getting out of hell compared to getting out of debt? You don't think he's got $80,000? He got you out of hell. But that's the way we do. That is the way we do it. That ought not be the way we do it. How do we get out of hell? Blood of the Lamb, word of your testimony. 
The word of your testimony. Jesus is before Pontius Pilate. And um, you know what? He confessed the truth. Fight the good fight of faith. 1 Timothy the 6, chapter 12, verse. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. That means take it. Lay hold means take it. Take, lay hold, take eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says, I urge you in the sight of God who gives life to all things and before Christ Jesus who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate. He was in a tight spot, wasn't he? But you know what he did? He confessed the truth. And you and I, we get into situations. You know what we need to do? Confess the truth. How do you fight the good fight of faith? You fight it. It says it right here. Let me back it up. You fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession. Well, we fight believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. Because let me tell you, you're going to be tempted to say a lot of other things. The temptation is definitely going to be there. You can't stop the temptation from coming, but what will you do when it arrives? You tell it to go on down the street to another house. It ain't coming up in here. Um, You know, no matter what, you just got to fight the good fight of faith to stand firm no matter what. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what they say, no matter what anybody says, I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to lay hold. I'm going to believe and I'm going to confess. I'm going to fight this good fight of faith. You're not going to hear any doubt coming out of my mouth. You're not going to hear any light coming out of my mouth. That's what you got to say. Because we're going to stick to the Word. Yeah, but it don't look like it. Well, I'm not going by what I see. I'm going by what this Word says. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I'm not going by what I see. I'm going by what I believe and I believe this word's true. I don't care what you see. I don't care what it looks like. I'm not going by that. I'm going by this word. Because everybody's prayed things before and things didn't work out the way that you wanted them to work out. And just because things didn't work out the way you wanted them to work out, does that make the word of God any less true? It's always true. It's the only thing that is true. It is the truth. <clears throat> so you got to make your mind up there. I'm sticking to the Word. Regardless, I'm sticking to the Word. I'm sticking to the Word. And start speaking things, uh, you know, um, life. By His stripes we were healed with long life. He promised me with a long life that He would satisfy. That's what I'm speaking I know other people may be speaking death, but I'm speaking word. Amen. Like I said, you're going to feel like saying something else. Daily. Then that steering wheel, turn that thing around. Don't go, don't get going the wrong way. Turn it around. Turn it around. Amen. Last week, I opened my Bible and I said, I'm going to read this scripture. And I opened my Bible to 2 Corinthians, the 4th chapter, the 13th verse, which I know. And last week I opened my Bible and I started to read it. And I said, what in the world is going on here? It's not what I remember. Huh. Well, I was right. It did say what I thought it said. I was just reading uh, 2 Corinthians, the 5th chapter, the 13th verse. That little five was hiding down there, and I didn't see it, because that's the first thing I did when I got out of here. I went to my Bible, and I was like, oh, okay, there you go. <clears throat> so I'm going to use it now. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, now get a hold of this, we, you and I, have the same spirit of faith according to what is written. I believed, and therefore I spoke. I believed, and therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore we speak. He's talking about the... The, you know, all the people were talking about faith in Hebrews. You know, Elijah, who uh, calls, calls down fire, and Moses, who parts the Red Sea. You know, the heroes of faith. And we have the same spirit, we have the same spirit of faith as, as they do. That's what the Word of God says. That, therefore, we believe and we speak. Why do we believe and speak? Because we have the same spirit of faith as they do. Jesus Himself said, hey, I'll do, you, you'll do greater things than I did. What did he do? He raised people from the dead. 
healed eyes, opened ears, lame legs. He says, you'll do greater things than, than I because I go to the Father on your behalf. That you'll be doing greater things than I did. That's what he said. But we think it's just bizarre to be talking like that. You believe that crazy stuff? Well, that's what Jesus told us. The problem is we, we're not believing and speaking. And not speaking to the mountain, telling the mountain to move. We're, we're just sitting there, oh, Lord, will you please, oh, that mountain is so big, would you please move it for me? The scripture plainly says if you just speak to it, believe in your heart, not doubt. And that's where we miss it, I do believe. But we have the same spirit of faith. Amen? So, we go to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. I'm going to read a little bit right here. It's too much to put, too much to put up there. I'll be clicking that thing every second. So let me read right here to you. Because when you talk about heroes of faith, I mean, you can't leave out David. You can't leave out David. We'll just start right here in the third verse. 1 Samuel 17, the third verse. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath, from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Now, I know everybody's heard this story. If you've been in church, spending any time in church, you've heard this story. You heard it when you was a kid in Sunday school. David and Goliath. Most people's heard it. Six cubits and a span. Well, a cubit is from your elbow to the tip of your finger, and a span is... This. Well, we got our tape measure out this week because somebody was asking me about it. We measured our arms and we took the uh, average of everybody's arm and we added it all up and it came to nine foot nine. I mean, I did it with my own tape measure. It came up with nine foot nine. All right. This guy's nine foot nine. Nine foot. Some people say he's 12 foot tall. Maybe he was. But I came up with nine foot nine. I want you to wrap, I want you, I, like I said, I know you've heard the story, but I want you to put yourself in the story. You put yourself in the story. There's a man, a champion, went out from the Philistines who was nine foot nine. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's 120 pounds. His coat that he wore, that he fought in, was 120 pounds. Can you imagine taking his coat off and saying, here, hold this for me for a minute? <laughs> and this is not something he wore on Halloween. This was his, this was his fighting jacket. You understand, he, had to be, he was athletic. He had to move around with a 120-pound coat on. This is a bad dude. I want you to wrap your mind around it. Just how bad of a dude it is. A 120-pound coat. That's a big old boy. He had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. He's covered up with armor. He's got it between his shoulders. He's got, in other words, the coat weighs 120 pounds. You know why? Because it's thick. And you're not going to penetrate it with a sword or a knife or a spear or anything like that. Um, now the staff of the spear was like a weaver's beam and his uh, iron spearhead weighs 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went before him. The 600 shekels, the, just the tip of his spear weighed 20 pounds. 20 pounds. 20 pounds. I used to bow hunt, deer hunt. You know how much my tips on my arrows were? 115 grains. <laughs> this is 20 pounds. Then he stood and cried to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be my servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Yeah. He was nine foot nine. His jacket weighed 120 pounds. The tip on his spear was 20 pounds. Yeah, they were scared. That's a big old mean dude. And they say size don't matter. Well, let me tell you this. It does. 
If you take a big old boy that's unathletic and can't really move and get around, and you take somebody that's a little smaller that can, size doesn't matter. But when you take somebody that's a big old boy and they know how to use what they have, it absolutely matters. Guarantee it. I've, been on, I've seen it. Where was that? Twelve. Thank you. Now David was the son of the Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in these days of Saul. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul. They were already there with him at the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. Like I said, his three older brothers are already there. David occasionally went uh, and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. 40 days, that's twice a day. That's 80 times. Twice a day, he's out there taunting them, defying them. You know he's calling them names. He's calling their mama's names. He's taunting them, just trying to get anybody riled up, mad enough to come out there and fight him. He presented himself 40 days, morning and evening. Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now your brothers uh, to some food, carry some cheese, uh, see how they fare, bring the news back to me. And um, in the 19th verse, Now Saul and they... And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. Well, they weren't fighting yet, were they? They were engaging. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep of the keeper, and took the things when as Jesse has commanded him, came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. Now they're squared off. So they're down in the valley. So just picture it. There's a mountain here, a mountain here, and a valley here. One army's on one mountain, one army's on the other mountain. They come down the valley to meet, and that's where they battle it out. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. In other words, he's taunting them just like he had been. And David heard him. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So this had been going on two times a day for 40 days. They were squaring up two times a day for 40 days. Goliath came out and they feared and they ran for their life two times a day. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up, surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, that the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. In other words, Saul's making some incentives now. Nobody wants to go fight him. He's like, hey, I tell you what, if you'll go out there and fight him, I'm going to give you half a million dollars cash. I'm going to give you my daughter. No, not her, but the pretty one. And I'm also going to uh, exempt your whole family, all of you, from taxes. You're never going to have to pay taxes ever again. That's something. That'll make you look out there and say, I hate that. how big old boy is he? You know what I mean? That'll make you think about it. But everybody else has done had a close up look at him. They didn't want none of it. They didn't care how pretty. How, it don't matter uh, how much money he gives you and how pretty the daughter is if you're dead. Right? That's what's going through their minds. Then David spoke to the man who stood, saying, What shall it be done for the man who kills, kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He said, He heard him, he heard him say it. He said, Now tell me that again. Tell me that one more time. Tell me, tell me. He, I want to hear that again. Half a male. Pretty daughter. Yeah, I've seen her. She is pretty. No taxes for my whole family, even my daddy, nobody, no taxes, my brothers. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is he? Uncircumcised Philistine, what that means is, who is this man who doesn't have any support? He does not have a covenant with God. God is not on his side. That's what it means. Without me going into great detail, 
This uncircumcised Philistine means he does not have a covenant with God, but I do. I have a covenant with God. He doesn't. If God be for me, who can be against me? So tell me that again. What am I going to get? Let me hear it again. Tell me again. And I know this is not the word. Uh, this, Saul is not speaking the word of God. But you, you have to think about faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. If something's getting stirred inside of David, he said, let me, let me hear that again. Because he asked again, he said, tell me that one more time. Let me hear that again. Something stirred in there. And the guy said, yeah, just like I said, it, it shall be done for the man that kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the man. In other words, he heard the man, he heard his brother saying, what's the man going to get that kills him? And Eliab, in other words, Eliab hears his brother coming in there talking faith. Everybody else is in doubt and everybody else is fear, in fear. They're scared. They don't want none. Don't care how much money it is. Don't care how pretty the daughter is. They're scared. They're terrified. But here's old David. and his, it, He hears him talking. He's like, now, what am I going to get again? Tell me that again. And his brother gets mad at him. He says, Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And who'd you leave those few sheep with in the wilderness? I know the pride and the insolence of your heart, for you come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Doesn't somebody need to go out and fight him? Isn't there a cause? He's an uncircumcised Philistine. We're the ones that have a covenant with God. Doesn't somebody need to do something? But you know, I got to reading that and got to noticing. Eliab, he got mad. He got mad at David because David came talking faith. He, he came speaking the word, saying, hey, we've got a covenant. He doesn't. We've got a covenant. Who, who is he? Who is he? And the same thing happens today. When, when somebody walks up on the scene and everybody's talking about how bad it is and how terrible it is and how awful it is, and somebody comes up and says, start speaking faith, you say, like, who are you? Don't you know how bad it is around here? And you want to come up here talking faith? See, see, faith challenges uh, a doubt and fear and unbelief. And um, people don't like that challenge. When what, what really should have happened was Eliab should have said, you know, you're right, David. We, we do have a covenant. And he does it. The whole army should have said, David's right. They don't have a covenant. We do. And they should have got on the side of faith. But the same thing happens today. So you can use this same principle to apply to you right now. There's a giant in your life. Maybe he's not nine foot nine and covered with scars and been a warrior since his youth. Thank the Lord we don't have to go to battle like that. But you know what? There's a lot of things out there that are opposing you that do uh, pose a problem that are giants in your life. But you know what? You can speak just the same thing to them. Sickness, sickness, sickness is an uncircumcised Philistine. Lack is an uncircumcised Philistine. You can't touch this because I've got a covenant with God. I've got promises right here that belong to me. And that's how we need to respond. The same way David did with, with faith. Amen. So David turned from him and he said to another the same thing. Tell me again now. What's the man going to get that kills this guy? And they answered just like the first ones did. Now when the words of David were spoke, when the words of David spoke were heard, they reported them to Saul, and Saul sent for him. Then David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. He said, Your servant, talking about himself, he said, I'll go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not, you're not, to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a youth. He's a man of war since his youth. In other words, he's been fighting since he's a teenager. And obviously he hasn't been killed because he's still alive. But he's killed a lot of other people. And you're just a kid. You're just a kid. Who are you? Who are you? The Satan puts those whispers in your ear the same thing. When you start confessing this word of God over your life and over anybody else's life, who are you? Who are you? You're, you're nobody. You, you sleep through church most of the time. Who are you? Well, I just threw that in there. But that's what Satan does. Who are you? Remember the last time you prayed? It didn't work out for you, did it? 
But Saul said to David, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took the lamb out of the flock, I went after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. And that's what faith does. Because most of us, if we were gathered around and we had our uh, sheep or our animals out there, our goats, next thing you know, a lion come in there and grabbed one of them, we'd be running the other way because I don't want him to grab me next. You can have all them. I'm gone. But David took off running out there, struck it, smote it, took it from him. Then he grabbed it by his beard. Then he killed it. Faith always charges. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now I want you to get a hold of that. The Lord who did it in the past, He'll do it again. And get a hold of these words. He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul changed his mind. Saul said, Go. May the Lord be with you. You have to get a hold of those words now. He will deliver me. He will deliver me. He will deliver me. He didn't say, I'll go out there and give it a shot. Y'all pray. I'm going to give this thing... I mean, I've killed some stuff before. I'm pretty good with this slingshot. I mean, I can pick a gnat off a pine tree at 50 yards. But, I mean, he's a big one. You're right. So y'all just... Uh, y'all, y'all, y'all pray, I'm going to give her a shot. No, that's not what he said. And we lie. That's how we live. We do silly things like that. He said, He will deliver me. He will deliver me. Um... Let's uh, everybody knows. Not every. I shouldn't say everybody knows. Everybody doesn't know. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown in the fiery furnace. Y'all remember the story? When the music played, everybody in the land was supposed to bow down to a false idol, a false god, a false image. And they refused to do it. Now, don't you look right here in Daniel. You can hold your place there in First Samuel, and you just follow along right here. Now, if you are ready at the time, this is they're before the king. Now, the king sent for them. The king heard they weren't bowing down; they weren't worshiping. So, the king sent for them. Okay. He so he tells them. Now, if you're ready at the time, you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music. And you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately in the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is this God who will deliver you from my hands? He says, if when you hear this music, if you bow down, good. But when you hear this music, if you don't, I'm going to cast you into the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, King, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. What does that mean? It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. We're not going to explain ourselves. We don't have any need to. Here's the deal. If that's the case, if what's the case? If you cast us in. That's the case. If it be so. If you cast us in. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us in the fiery from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us from your hand, O King. Now get a hold of it. Our God, whom we serve, He is uh, from the furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O King. Oh, I missed it there. God we serve is able. He is able and He will. And that's a, that's a big question a lot of us have, is we know God's able, but will He? And well, you need to know the will of God. And then you'll know if He will or not. Is it His will for you to be healthy or is it His will for you to be sick your entire life? Well, if it's His will for you to be sick your entire life, what about the Scripture that says, by your stripes we were healed? And with a long life that He'll satisfy. That don't, that don't go together because it's not very satisfying when you're flat on your back sick. 
It is the will of God. You need to know His will. It's, it's not a secret. This word right here, this is His will. And if you get in here and read this thing, you'll, you start to learn what His will for your life is. It's not a, he didn't make it a mystery. But you need to know what His will is. He said, He will deliver us from your hand, O King. But if not, let it be known to you, O King, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold demons which you set up. Now, here's what I want you to see right here. I'm going to back up to the 17th verse. If that is the case, if what's the case? If you throw us in. If that's the case. 18th verse. But if not. But if not what? But if, if, not, if you don't throw us in. And in fact, the original translation says low it is and says low not. So what low it is means, what low not means is if you, if you cast us in, if, you, if that's the case, if you decide to cast us in, we are not worshiping your gods. But if not, if you don't cast us in, we're still not worshiping your gods. Now, many of your modern day translations have got this jacked up and people have preached this. And I'll tell you, they preach it wrong and I'll explain it to you why. But they say, God is able and God will deliver us. My God will deliver me. But if not, I'm still not going to worship. You, faith doesn't say if not. It's not faith. If you say he will deliver me. But if not, I'm going out there to fight that. Uh, I'm going to cut his head off because he's an uncircumcised Philistine. But if not, God's going to deliver me into deliver him into my hand. But, but if not, y'all, y'all be praying. Let me explain this to you. Listen, he said, like some of these translations say, uh, but if God doesn't deliver me, we're still not going to worship you. Do you think you'd have to explain that? Because if He doesn't deliver you, you're going to be burnt to a crisp. Of course you're not going to worship Him. Duh! Now some of you may be reading the nearly interpreted version and it says in there, but if God doesn't deliver me. But I want you to understand this. That's not faith. If you say He will deliver me, but if He don't, that's not faith. Is He will deliver me. That's it. He will deliver me. I know God's will. He will give this Philistine into my hands. He will deliver me. That's His will. There's not any doubt there. There's, there's a song that comes on the radio that I don't like. I don't, if it's in the car, I cut it off. If it's at the house on YouTube playing on my TV, I cut it off. I don't like it. Now, I like the group. They, uh, I like a lot of their songs. I love them. But uh, the song says, even if. I don't like it. It's unscriptural. So I cut it off. I don't want that to start going into my ears and the next thing you know, I'm speaking and saying it. You know how those songs, songs get stuck in your head? Yeah. I was somewhere at a restaurant the other day and this girl kept singing this song and she said, I can't quit singing that. It's stuck in my head. And I was thinking, same thing happens. When you start hearing a bunch of stuff like that and it gets stuck in your head, the next thing you know, you're singing the song. I've done it. You have to, you know what I'm talking about. But they, in the song, one thing it says that they say it only takes a little faith to move mountains. Well, they ain't said nothing. Jesus said it. Jesus said it only takes a little faith to move the mountain. That's who said it. Words in red. We just read it. Mark 11, 22, 23, and 24. Jesus said it. That's, and then, then the song goes on and says if you decide not to move the mountain... He doesn't say anything about him moving the mountain. He says, you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you tell the mountain to move. You tell the sickness to get up out of your house. You tell all this strife to get up and get out of my house. You tell all this doubt and this unbelief to get up and get out of my house. Lack out. Devil get out. Sickness get out. It, you go in your baby's room when they're in there sick, got the croupy cough, or got some kind of junk going on, got a fever, you lay hands on them, and you, you declare healing in the name of Jesus. I believe in my heart, and I'm confessing my mouth. This is what belongs to this child's healing. Sickness, get out. Satan, take your hands off my baby. Get out. That's scriptural. That's not silly. That's standing in faith. Amen. And then the song goes on and says that I know you can deliver me like out of the fire, but even if you don't. I'm like, dear Lord, I wish they, I could just sit down and talk to them for about 10 minutes to explain to them that's the opposite of faith. But 
you know, I'm not knocking them at all. That's just what, that's, that's probably what 90% of the uh, Christians in the world believe, to be honest with you. But that's not, that's not what the Word says. It, it don't make any sense. But even if he don't, but even if he don't, I'm still not going to. Well, no, you're not, because you'll be burnt to a crisp, of course. It's if you throw me in, I'm not worshiping. If you don't throw me in, I'm still not worshiping. That's what the verse goes. That's how it goes. Amen. I know some people say, well, you're just showing your faith by you're saying even if God don't come through for you, you're still going to serve Him. No, it's the opposite of faith when you have an if. That's like laying hands on somebody and praying for them and saying, well, if that didn't work, I'll do your funeral. I've actually had that happen to me before. I told you all the other day, I prayed for somebody and they chased me down the hall and said, if that didn't work, will you do her funeral? Dear Lord. So let's go back to our story. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose for himself five smooth stones. So David picks up five smooth stones. He puts them in his bag. And all he goes out there with a sling and some rocks. The slingshot, and it says, He drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And the Philistine looked about and saw David. He disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Well, I want you all to know what ruddy is. It's important to know what ruddy is. It's reddish with a fair complexion. So the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you've come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And I noticed there, um, by his gods, and you know, in, my, in the, our Bible, that word gods is not capitalized. And I wouldn't capitalize it either. Anytime I write down the word Satan, I don't care if it's the first word of the sentence, I do a lowercase. I'm not capitalizing nothing in that idiot's name. Amen. That's just my own little deal there. So the Philistines said to David, he said, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, he said, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel who you defied. And he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camps of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Now, yet to see there how many times he says, the Lord's going to deliver me, and he said, I'm going to strike you, I'm going to take your head, this day I'll give your carcasses. In other words, he's speaking. He believes, he's got faith, and he's confessed. He's telling him what he's going to do before he does it. This is what's fixing to happen. Why? Because you're an uncircumcised Philistine. Then all the assembly shall know that their Lord does uh, not save with a sword and a spear, for the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. He says it again. He will give you into our hands. You're going down today. He's going to give you into our hands. And like I said, when we looked at the story in Daniel with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he didn't... He didn't follow up with, and if he don't. If things don't work out, tell dad I love him. You, you see there? There's no room for any doubt. There's no room for any fear. It's just, this is, the, this is what the word, this is it. God's going to deliver you. Deliver me from you. Your head's coming off today. So it was that the Philistine arose and came drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. You notice everybody else was running the other way. And the same thing happens in our life today. When challenges come and giants come, big old giants with scars all over them that's been through some battles, they're facing you. A lot of times we run the other way instead of going towards it. And how do you, what do you go towards it? I mean, what are we talking about here? We're talking about with faith. We're talking about fighting the good fight of faith. I'm running towards it. I believe in my heart and I'm confessing my mouth and I'm going to speak some things out of my mouth. He ran out there to meet him. Then David 
put it in his hand, his bag, pulled out a stone, he got the slingshot, hit him in the forehead, the stone sank into his forehead, he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. And then David ran over. Philistine took his sword, drew it out, and the sheath killed him, cut his head off with it. The Philistines saw their champion was dead, and they fled. We'll just stop right there. Um, right here in the 50th, we just read it. So David prevailed over the Philistine. How are, how are you, me, how are all of us, how are we going to prevail? How are we going to prevail the same way David did? That's how faith works. Faith gives you courage. Praise him, y'all, y'all can come on. That's how, that's how it works. Faith gives you courage. When you stay in this Word, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, and your faith starts getting built up, and things pop up in your life, and everybody else is scared, and everybody else is afraid, and you're like, that's really not that big of a deal. Because you know why? That's an uncircumcised Philistine. That's be no different than the giant. And faith gives you courage to run towards the problem. Amen? So, let's come full circle to this thing and come back to where we started. Your tongue, what you say, what comes out of your mouth. The, the power of life and death on your tongue. That you can speak life or you can speak death. Do you see how many different things David could have spoke? Y'all do? He could have, he could have listened to those men and said, Yeah, you're right, Saul. He's, he's bigging. He's been a warrior, like you said, since... He was a youth. Uh, well, I'll go out there and give it a shot. But no, he just took to the Word. The Word that was on the inside of him. He said, I've got a covenant with God. He doesn't have a covenant with God. There's things that oppose you in life, giants that come in your life. Guess what? They don't have a covenant with God either. And how do you overcome them? The blood of the Lamb and the Word of your testimony. Believe in your heart and speaking with your mouth. You know, and one thing I noticed, I just, it just hit me yesterday, guys. And I didn't plan this one bit. But for several weeks, we talked about thinking. Thinking. Access denied. Remember not letting those thoughts get into our minds? Because you start thinking on these things, then you start speaking them. We talked about changing our mind, having our minds renewed in the Word of God. We preached on it for three or four weeks. You say, this is in your mind. This is what you think. And then... Here we are, the Lord's guys talking about our tongues. See, when you renew your mind and you start speaking what's been renewed, you start speaking, you renew your mind with the Word of God. Now you're thinking it and you're speaking it. That's when you see mountains move. Amen. Last week we said, if you say so, Speak something negative. Like, I'll never be able to have enough money to buy this. If you say so. Or you can say, my God will supply all my needs according to His riches and glory. If you say so. Because it's your tongue that's the steering wheel. It's going to... Thank you for listening to this message from Seven Mile Ministry. 